Well, welcome to Home Page Radio. It's 2021, the fourth week of that new year, and every fourth Thursday, uh, Home Page Radio is here on WPKN. It's a radio station that gives you a Incredible amounts of great music, but it also gives you thought-provoking programming, and hopefully this is part of that arm of a great radio station, WPKN. And in the studio, while I am in my office, is Rod Richardson, the greatest technical radio expert on the phone with me right now. Uh, Rod, how are you? uh, I am fine and reveling in that description. Well, you, you should. Now, this is a different show, Rod, and I, I, I bear your forbearance and the audience's forbearance because this is a show that maybe pulls back from the day-to-day of home stuff and goes into the things that make homes independent, really, of our daily lives that tries to look, look more widely at how we look at buildings and that is pretentiously called architecture, and since I are an architect, I can be that much of a dismissive force in saying architecture really is a construct because we all live in and work in buildings, but the truth is everybody has a home. And Rod, I know we've talked about this over the last few months in this weird COVID time, has this last two or three months when we sort of know there's going to be some kind of a vaccine coming sometime. Do you find yourself thinking differently about your home now than you did, say, during the summer? Um, not really, because uh, for me, the more central item is the empty nest, not empty nest thing that goes yeah. on because of this. And once again, it's back to empty nest because my daughter decided to go down to New York City and, uh, and reside in an apartment. And still taking courses virtually, but wanting to be in New York because it's uh, ultimately closer to what she wanted to do with her life prior to this whole mess. You bet. But um, no, because the mixture of hope and 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 concern has maintained a fairly steady level. Because you, you know, we've got vaccines coming, but the supply is short and the distribution is kind of messed up. And then there's also the new variants that are causing concern. <laughs> It just it, it's like it just won't settle and then just dissipate. It's actually a, a snowstorm that's just hovering over us, so to speak. So shelter in place is what I say. We are in the eye of a hurricane because we don't have COVID. And other people I know do, but thank God you and I do not. And thank God that we're able to even talk about homes. A lot of people don't have them. But this episode is called Changing Home. And Changing Home should be subtitled uh, What Common Edge Collaborative is Doing to Clarify Our Vision of Architecture. Now, you've probably never heard of something called the Common Edge Collaborative. It is a very small website that is very important to architects, really, in the world. And Common Edge Collaborative was formed about, I think, about five years ago. We'll have the founder, one of the founders of it here, to talk to us. And it's important because our homes are buildings, and they're also architecture. You know, how homes are created really reflects our culture. So sometimes it is good to see what is going on in a field that architecture, that is often really focused on styles and personalities, not on the ways it is created and perceived. You know, the world has changed, as we, as we are morbidly aware, this last year. And that means, of course, that architecture will change. So houses will once again become the laboratory for change in design, you know, in the process and the technology of making things, just like homes have always been, because they're the smallest building, the most intimately touched, the most directly responsive to what we think about in terms of building. So what does this mean for homes in the 20s? You know, Common Edge Collaborative was, create, was created those five years ago, or more or less, to address architecture in its cultural context, its evolution and social meanings. You know, this is not like the articles that you've seen this year that, you know, definitively scream the 10 ways architecture will change in the pandemic, or the things like the new color is gray, 
or do something like make, build your own barn. The things that are used for centuries, not for centuries, but for the centuries of our perception as the ongoing ways that architecture is almost marketed to everyone. And Common Edge offers these perspectives and I think really changes the way we look at our culture and thinks about architecture in a way which enhances the way all of us that have been trapped in our homes will think about it when this is done. So I've written for Common Edge for about five years. Martin Peterson, who will be our first guest, was a creator of the organization and will join us, as well as two of the site's really great contributors, Richard Boudet and Mark Hewitt, who, like me, and this is a really great thing for, for I think, Common Edge, but also for anybody who reads it, is they're architects who write. So we kind of know what it is to make things. At the same time, we also think about what it is for anybody to make and live in the things that we've dedicated our lives to. And that has a particular intensity of meaning, I think, for homeowners. So for all of them, for me and you, we all have these homes. And from the macro level of trying to understand architecture in the context of our culture to the micro-reality of each of us lives our lives, these thought leaders have insights that I think we should all hear. And in this nimble reality of a web-based commentary, this, this instant communication, we share understanding with a special meaning because we're in a pandemic year. You know, everything has changed, and as Rod and I were talking about, we'll be inoculated soon, and we're all dealing with the vicissitudes of the micro-realities of a child living with us or not living with us. And we might even be safe in six months or nine months. But that doesn't mean we will not have changed our vision of homes. And I think that means we will all have changed our sense of what architecture can mean in our culture. Because homes are the canary in the cage of what we value. You know, whatever architecture does, it has millions of test drives in all the homes we live in. You know, the Common Edge Collaborative is different than what we are used to. It is a place of diversity of ideas. It's a website that you can all access, Common Edge Collaborative. And it is really more important than the images you see on house or the POV, the point of view that you see screaming on the Internet, or even a polemic that you can see in any architectural website's uh, typical offerings. It basically eschews the trolls and the endless points, counterpoint of the comment sections and really gets to the heart of what we think about when we think about what architecture is and can be. So let's hear what a group of creators and commentators and dwellers in homes think has changed and will change beyond this year on Homepage Radio. When we come back, we'll be talking to Martin Peterson of Common Edge Collaborative. Welcome back to Homepage Radio. My name is Duo Dickinson, and this is a show that comes on once a month on WPKN 88.5 on your FM dial, if I can spit that out. And the show really deals, Homepage Radio, with our homes. But this month, we're going to pull back a little bit and think more generally about what our homes are, which is essentially the cutting-edge, leading, beginning parts of what architecture ends up becoming for everyone. Homes are really experimental places of something called architecture. And part of, quote-unquote, architecture is now a website called Common Edge Collaborative that's been around for about five years. And it really, to me, 
is changing the voice of architecture, and that's pretty self-serving because I write for that that great website. But I think it also is good for people to know about it because it looks at architecture in a way that's different from the typical uh, DIY, house, dwell, all these different types of architecture that celebrates the object of our creation and really grapples with the motivations and realizations of our humanity that becomes architecture. So on the phone with me today is one of the two creators of Common Edge Collaborative, Martin Peterson. Martin, are you there? I am indeed. Well, it's great to have you back on the show. And I, I did, re- in thinking about this show, I thought it was an incredible thing, just your name, the fact that you put Common and Edge together. Could you just give us a quick rundown yes. on what that is? <laughs> yes, that, that is totally... Uh, the brainchild of uh, Stephen Bingler, my uh, collaborator of Common Edge. And he's talking, um, he's really talking about a a design philosophy that fuses, you know, uh, 5,000 years of common knowledge with the cutting edge of, of, of innovation and creativity. So we're, our, our argument since we started this is there's a sweet spot somewhere in the middle and that's kind of not only where maybe the profession should go but it's kind of where most people you know lay people citizens uh it's it's where they probably want their architecture to reside uh, as well they you know they don't you know i mean there's 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 one bill bow and i love it too but you know, we can't have an architecture culture or cities made of, of little bill battles. And at the <laughs> same time, you know, uh, strip malls and and various and sundry other things on the other side of the ledger are just as egregious and don't make for place either. So we, we were deliberately trying to pitch it so that you wouldn't need an architecture degree to understand it. Right. And that's still really what I try to push for. And you know that because you go through my, my insane editorial process <laughs> and it's always about clarity, 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 clarity. You and bet. I want somebody's mother to be able to understand this. And, uh, and, I, I don't, and I don't think that's asking too much either. But, you know, the thing that makes it interesting for me, and again, all of this is really self-serving because I do write with you, and I, I can't tell you how much it you're, means you're, to me. You're one I, of the early, I mean, at the beginning, when, when you start a website, this kind of thing, it's basically just you and a couple of your friends, but you you signed on really, really early, so you're, you're kind of one of the founding contributors. <laughs> For good or for ill, but the thing about it is, and I think this is what makes it extraordinary, because because the uh, the I guess you'd call it binary or duality or whatever balance you've got between common edge, is that you you do force me to detox, you know the the sort of ganglia of my forty years being an architect and speaking to myself really in the choir to pulling away and thinking about everybody that's listening to this show right now, people that own homes and think about homes and listen to WPKN. But the thing which I find more remarkable than just a a simple version of how you write for non-architects, because I do that too, is the fact that you don't walk away from extremely complicated, um, interwoven, and sometimes esoteric issues. And I, I find that to be incredibly encouraging because it's still around and people are still viewing it. How is Common Edge going in terms of its perception, how it's being used, number of people listening to it, all the rest? Well, I mean, it's, uh, here's, the, here's the honest truth. It's really hard um, in a fractured media universe to, to create a huge following. You, you sort of have to earn every eyeball. Right. And out of the gate, you you can you can sort of get a splash because you're new. But then the, over the long haul, you just have to produce, you know, worthy content day in and day out, week right. in and week out, and then you build your following. And that's that's what we've been doing. And weirdly, the last year during the pandemic, we've we've seen our traffic rise, you know, significantly. Um, 
and I, I, part of that is we, you know, people have more time to read, and part of it is I hope that they're gravitating to things that uh, are meaningful and helpful to them. So um, I think it's probably a combination of both for us. Well, what's interesting is I think I kind of know how this, this generated in your mind, but could you tell our audience, where did this, where did this idea come from uh, just organically? I, and I really think it is Steve Bingler and you that did this. Tell us how it came about. Well, I... Um I, for many years, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a New Yorker and uh, born and raised. And in 2011, I moved to New Orleans with my wife and kids. Uh, and one of the impetuses for moving was uh, my friendship with Stephen Bingler. Um, and uh, we would meet, and we still do, uh, we would meet every Tuesday uh, at a restaurant called Satsuma. And uh, Stephen, you know, came to start calling it the Satsuma Dialogue. So we would just go there, <laughs> hang out for an hour, and just talk about architecture and architecture culture and stuff like that. And sort of out of out of those discussions, I, I looked at some of the writing he had done, and there was one one piece that I thought um, had a lot of potential as a sort of polemic about where where the profession was. So we started to collaborate on that. And we published a piece in in uh, New York Times. Um, Could you give me the call? Give, give our audience the name of that piece because that that was a piece that really struck a chord with our entire. No, culture. it did. Oh, oh, it did. It did. People, yeah. It, I think it was called "How to Rebuild Architecture," um, and then we retitled it "The Trouble with Architecture," um, but. Um, but it was it, but it was deliberately written as a sort of polemic, a sort of Martin Luther King nailing the principles on the church church door. It was it was done it was done to provoke and to provoke thought and and I you know and I we were a little out ahead of things, so we got attacked by the by the by the by the establishment. There Big was time. an architectural establishment. Um, but I think we were just prematurely correct. <laughs> uh, and and uh, I, I don't think our, our position is would be looked at as particularly extreme today. I don't know, six or seven years later. I think it was December of 2014. So yeah, I, I think everybody would go would shrug now, but uh, they weren't shrugging then. They were no. They were, they were angry. And, they were angry. And tell me about the transition between that great article and this website. Well, then uh, that published, and then we continued to meet and talk. Uh, I was still working at Metropolis Magazine remotely. That relationship ended, and then Stephen and I said, well, let's, let's try to do something with this. And we just, uh, you know, got the website together. Uh, Stephen funded, funded it. We put it up, and at the beginning, it was me and, you know, three or four people uh, yeah. And then you you joined on and became a regular contributor, and uh, you know it, 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 we I don't know we published probably five hundred pieces and it's five hundred pieces. It's yeah, amazing. At least, at least. So well, that's an incredibly um, great. Se- yeah. that's a that's a really great segue because this is this is almost a seminal question in my talk to you because this this people don't understand that every profession whether it's law or medicine or engineering has got sort of almost a a, a, a flow, a, a, a direction that it's going in terms of how it's perceiving itself and where it thinks it's going and what its relevance is. They're, they're, it, every, everything that we do has got a sense of the fact that, that, we have, we're, that we're making something and this something has to be used by everyone. Everyone is not a constant. It usually changes. Life changes. So the, the profession kind of changes. And well, every it, profession it, does. Our architecture is a cultural pursuit. It's That's also, right. And so I was just going to ask well. you really, really quickly. I was going to ask you. I'm going to say, your grappling with this has, I think, held a mirror up to what is called the, you know, what I call the design establishment, the magazines, the AIA, the universities. And I was just going to ask you straight up, flat out, and 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 you can tell me I'm full of beans. Is there an evolving sense for the average homeowner, the person that lives in architecture? Uh, that has really resulted from the change from everybody picking up a copy of Architectural Digest 
to people flipping through or, or keying some, some images on house. What's changed in homes in this change in architecture? You know, I don't think enough, to, to, to be honest. There still isn't a real connection between, between the profession uh, and the practice of archi- architecture and, uh, and, and, and everyday people. Um, it's refracted in a poppy way, you know, mm. in, 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 uh, in decorating magazines, which right. there's nothing wrong with any of that, but, but, but that's, that's not, that's not ultimately where the weight of the profession is, is moving. Right. And I still don't think there's a close enough connection or even a desire to connect. Uh, you know, I, it, it's a problem. I mean, it's kind of what our mission is, is, is public engagement. And I, I still think it's pretty, it's pretty lacking. It's interesting because, you know, what, what, what I find daunting is that, you know, I've spent my entire life doing homes, basically. I've done a ton of other things, but, but homes are really the, the metronome of what, I, what I've written about in books and things, but what I also do as an architect, making and remaking and, and personalizing homes. And I'd ask you, as somebody that's now gone through, I guess it's not a decade, but it's, it's, almost, it's a, almost a decade of, of reconsidering the profession in general, but also somebody that lived in New York, now lives in New Orleans, and now has been through a year of COVID. And I won't quote you, but do you think that homes will be different now than they were perceived to be a year ago, and if they're going to be different now, do you think they'll be different in the future with this COVID imposition on everybody? I mean, the the immediate answer is absolutely. Just because we've we've just spent more time in our houses, uh, almost involuntarily. So mm. so yes, you know, profoundly. Whether whether that sticks as as the sort of pandemic slowly and gradually thaws the answer to that is i don't know um yeah. i don't know i i think certain things are, are going to be more profoundly impacted like the nature of work and office towers and all yeah. that those those seem those seem to be in for for like more permanent reckonings um the home i think is still unclear to me I agree, because, I, you know, if, if, in my own personal practice, we do have jobs that are generated by the new perception of what a home is, but the vast majority of what we're dealing with as architects right now is the people that were using us before COVID, and so it's an right. interesting yes and no answer, but I think there is a, a, a broader answer I'd like to close with you, because I think there is a, I think you, more than anybody I know, does have a real handle on this. And that is, do you see architecture trending as a profession? Just do you see the perspective of what I do for a living? Do you see that changing in the next generation of architects from what it is now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be. I, I think it's going to, to some uh, some extent, it's the the, the, the profession is going to have change foist upon it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they may go kicking and screaming, but I but I think and you've written about this a lot. I mean the 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 the, digi- the digital revolution has truly transformed architecture, yeah. and it's changing the na- completely the nature of how the work is done, and in turn that changes how you bill for it, uh, and and changes your workflow and changes the amount of people you need to do the work so all of that has had a profound impact and it's going to continue to continue apace so that's one part of it and that's pretty significant the other part uh is going to be i still i I always i always circle back to climate change but Mm. architects are either going to have to be uh you know at the front lines leading the charge or i think they'll they'll be irrelevant because Mm. you know the our economy and our building stock has to be decarbonized in the next yeah. 10 or 15 years. It's just, it's essential. So that's, so that, so I would build. say on those two, those two fronts, 
And those are profound, profound. You're, you know, we're talking about climate change and we're talking about the way of work. Yeah, I think, I think, I think architecture will be reshaped uh, in, in the coming decade. Well, uh, you're a person that, through your voice, has shaped a, a bunch of opinions and hopefully more about what the extent and scope and basis of how we make things should, could, and will be. So thank you. Thank you, well, thank Martin you, Peterson, for being on Homepage Radio, because I think the next guest will take your attitudes and ideas and actually personalize them. So thank you so much for being on. All right. Thank you, Dio. Take care. So the next segment will be with Richard Boudet, who is an architect and an educator and a writer, and he has some very interesting things to think about in terms of architecture. When we come back on Homepage Radio at 89.5 FM on your radio dial. Welcome back to Homepage Radio. This is Duo Dickinson. I'm an architect, and every fourth Thursday of every month, Homepage Radio comes to you to talk about your home, but also about design and architecture. And we're only able to do this because we are on WPKN, perhaps the most interesting radio station I know of. If you are listening to this for the first time and maybe haven't heard about WPKN, go to their website just WPKN.org. See, see what actually is there. There's so much to actually do, contribute to, or be part of. I do think that being part of Homepage Radio, especially at this time when we're creating a new studio for a space after 46 years in one place, um, this is a great time to be part of something which is far larger than just a, any radio program. It's really about our culture, what we value, and really why we do anything. And this is a completely listener-supported radio station, meaning that um, without you, without us, the radio station wouldn't exist. So I invite you to go to, the, go to the website, see what's going on, and listen to shows like this. This is Homepage Radio, and on it we're talking today about a website that I've been involved with for five years called um, the Common Edge Collaborative which is not a typical website, which is a grouping of writers that actually every couple days come up with something which is pretty interesting. We just talked to Martin Peterson out of New Orleans, who was one of the founders, and they published over 500 pieces on what architecture is and means on an enormous number of levels in a way that uh, Martin and Stephen Bingler, Bingler his, his collaborator, have made accessible to the non-nerdy architect self-serving you know, profession of high style and pretense. And as part of this is uh, a group of people that includes Richard Boudet, who is, I hope I got your name right, Richard. He, he's an architect, a writer, an educator with really 20 years of experience in behavior research, and he's based in Houston. Arch Images is his firm, and that firm is one just tons of awards for buildings, interiors, short films, commercials, and interactive media. He's also, like me, an AIA fellow, which I guess means something. So, Richard Boudet, thank you. For, did I get that right? You got that right. You got the, uh, the name of the firm wrong, but you got our name. You got oh, so, name so, right. so it's Arch Image? It, it's Arch Image. Arch, Arch Image. Angel. Okay. Yes. You see? One of the two gets you in the Hall of Fame. Um, <laughs> so, so, Richard... I love what you write. What you write is fascinating. Um, but I think everybody on the radio would like to know, tell me about your, your arc image practice and, and how that works with your writing. Tell us about your place in architecture. Well, that's um, a big question. Uh, I graduated architecture school in, in, uh, in 1977. I think you and I are probably contemporaries, more or less, yep. in that yep. area. And immediately went to work uh, for Skidmore Owings and Merrill, who had just opened up an office in Houston. So I went from Kent, Ohio, down to the other end of the country, uh, Houston, uh, right after graduating and getting married. 
I worked there for a number of years in the 1983 uh, with a friend I'd met at SOM who had previously worked for Philip Johnson Architects in New York. We opened up a two-man uh, firm called Boudet Wells Architects. In 1983, if you remember, is more or less the time when the IBM PC, personal computer, was introduced mm-hmm. to the world. So we marketed uh, ourselves as Houston's uh, first completely computerized architectural design <laughs> practice. Two guys and two IBM PCs. And this is days, this is green screens before color screens and not even hard drives. I mean, there's more computing power in my watch than we had <laughs> in, in my architectural practice. To our complete surprise, we got a huge amount of media interest crazy amount of uh, media interest. The, the idea that there were architects drafting without drafting tables yeah. just lit up the, the newswires. And so we, we were, had more than 100 local and national newspaper interviews, television interviews over the next couple of years. Today it seems ridiculous, and even then it seemed ridiculous, but we, <laughs> just, we lapped it up. But we started getting invitations to lecture at trade shows and conferences, offers to teach, and then to write. And that's how I started my architectural writing uh, career, uh, as it were, and that is writing all about computers and architecture. Dirty. I probably penned about 100 papers for design journals and computer magazines during that period. Well, you've written some really incredible things on Common Edge Collaborative. Could, could you tell us about the one or two, because in my writing, there are these pieces that you write and as you're writing them and after you write them, you go like, wow, I don't think I really knew that until I wrote that. Anything like that in the, what you've done for Common Edge? Any pieces that a person could look up and see? Well, you know, you, you hit on something which is a, an absolute truism. And that is um, when, when, a, when a person writes, or at least when I write it, and it sounds like you're of the same, um, of the same kind of point of view, in a sense, it's a sort of a research project. You, you have this vague idea, a hypothesis that you want to explore, and by writing, you work it out. And very often, you throw it away and start again and come back and so forth. <laughs> yeah. But you, you, you wind up with an end that you, you may or may not knew you were going to get there when you started. Um, and this has been pretty much my story after... Um, we sort of established ourselves as a firm kind of with a mixed, with a hybrid sort of pedigree uh, of both architectural planning and design, but as you mentioned, computer animated films and video games and kind of all over the place. Uh, everything turned out to be research, but I started working with actual scientific researchers for the last 20 years, and I got a much better understanding of what real research means. And it's very much along the lines of uh, the process of writing where you start off with an idea and you test it until it works or it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And I try to capsulize uh, that uh, notion in one of my early Common Edge articles uh, that was written to architects uh, about the need uh, for architects to get a better understanding of what it means uh, to, to undertake um, Research and uh, the title of the article is "The Confused and Impoverished State of Architectural Research." Yeah, I remember that. Yep. Yeah. And uh, you know that was my, you know, I was I was advocating for teaching real research methodology in architecture school, and not not just a one-off course, but in every semester right. or every quarter, focusing on it because the, the architecture literature is so sparse compared to science and medicine. Yes. Well, I'm going to do a terrible thing. I'm going to to read you your words. I know when people do that with me, I want to throw up, but they can't see you. It's the radio, so I'm going to do it anyway. So you, you wrote a recent piece called Do Buildings Really Shape Human Behavior? And you write, I've written that human nature, not architecture, is the cause of what ails life on Earth. If I'm right, changing human behavior is the cure not changing architecture. My position is that buildings' ability to shape what people think and do is limited. And I think that strikes a real chord with every homeowner in America that deals with a home that exists and their lives change. So in that piece and your perspective, tell me 
how you've changed in your home during COVID? Well, there's a, 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 my statement has a, a bit of a di- different dimension to, to that question. I mean, I, I live in a high-rise condominium, which I designed. My, you know, the, my unit is, was, was gutted, and I designed it to accommodate uh, me, but I did it. At, I designed it as I was closing my office and retiring, so I designed it knowing I would be working from mm. home. So in actuality, COVID hasn't changed my house at all. It was designed to be here and to work. Uh, I can surmise, however, that you know the uh, the impact of uh, species-ending potential events uh, that we're all focused on—that global warming—but also you've got uh, cultural upheavals that are tearing apart society are going to make um, uh, houses um, different kinds of places than they were before. They're going to become workplaces, and to a certain extent, there's the possibility that they, they will become more fortified mm. than they were before. Mm. Um, none of which is, I think, um, or at least one of those aspects, uh, are, are rather upsetting to contemplate. Um, but I think... We're going to, right, you know, architecture shapes, like all art, it, it, it reflects the society of its time. And our mm-hmm. buildings are going to, like it or not, and probably consciously or not, they're going to reflect the nature of our time. Well, you know, in the little minutes that are left, um, could you just, and you, you touched on it, but if you had to leave this listenership, almost no architects listen to this, if you had to leave this listenership with where you think architecture is heading as a profession now that you are formally retired, where do you think architecture is headed just as a cultural thing in our lives? Well, frankly, and and this is part of what I've been writing about, is I think the profession is lost. It's looking for its next direction. Mm. If you go back in time, you realize that modernism was a path we were all on. And previous to that, there were other isms most of us took and followed along. Today, there's no guiding principle uh, that unites the profession. And so we are in search of where to go. We're looking for uh, our compass to stop moving. And that's a problem and and an opportunity, Uh, certainly an opportunity to write about. Well, it's an opportunity for me to read what you write, so that's a big deal for me. And so, so Richard Boudet, thank you so much for being on Homepage Radio, because I think your insights are touching more people through places like Common Edge Collaborative. So thank you so much for being on Homepage Radio. It's a pleasure. Thank you. So when we come back, we're going to be talking to another architect who writes a totally different perspective and, and, and an interesting way of looking at things all under the umbrella of writing for Common Edge Collaborative. And I think what Mark Hewitt will key us to are some of the more historical realities of what architecture has been and is and always will be in our lives. So when we come back on Homepage Radio, Mark Hewitt... Welcome back to Homepage Radio. My name is Duo Dickinson. I'm an architect, and on WPKN, every fourth Thursday, you can hear this show talk about homes, and homes not only as a place to live, but as a thing that is created by our culture, and architects that are part of that creation, either leading or following or 
in a dance with our culture and our humanity to make the places that we live. And we've just heard from Martin Peterson, who, was, who created a website called Common Edge Collaborative with Steve Bingler, and one of his contributors, Richard Boudet, along with me, is an architect and a writer, and trying to figure out, in the effort to make everyone basically understand the building form better or more completely or understand where it already is in their lives, um, Common Edge Collaborative uses words, just like this radio program, to sort of span the, the gap of perception to the reality of understanding. And on the phone with me now is Mark Hewitt. Mark, are you there? Yes, I am. Thank you, Duo. Well, let, let me uh, tell everyone that, you know, Mark Allen Hewitt, he's, he's, got, he's got a middle name like me, mine is Arthur, by the way, is, is, uh, is an architect, historian, and preservationist practicing in New York. I think the, the, the less kind New York-centric people would say he lives in upstate New York, although I think it's probably more mid-state. He has well, I, no, archi- no, actually, I, do, I live in the New York area. I live, I live in about 40 miles away in New Jersey. So I'm, I'm well, there the you go. Area, so that's even I'm more the, remote than upstate New York. I'm in the Jersey part of New York, so not New the Jersey, Connecticut my part God. of New York. So we talked to New Orleans, we, we talked to Houston, and now we're talking to New Jersey. And you, you've, you've taught at Rice, Columbia, Penn, New Jersey uh, Tech. Um, you've written a bunch of books, and including The Architect of the American Country House and a book on Gustav Stickley, which I think is fantastic, and The Vintage House. But you, you also have just written a, a book, which I think is pretty interesting, and that is Draw in Order to See which is called A Cognitive History of Architectural Design, and that, that does connect the creative process with actually the drawing process and also the thinking process, which I think is fantastic. Um, but for Common Edge Collaborative, um, you write about the day-to-day life of how people make things in the past and in the present, and what I've asked the other two contributors today to, to this show is, tell, us, tell me about your practice and your writing life in terms of how you, where and how you live. Tell me how your life fits in with your home and, and what you do. Well, uh, yeah, I th- thank you for that question, um, because I do, um, I do have a home that uh, is a studio. I mean, I, I, I have a studio for my architectural practice here, but I also have a woodworking studio and a music studio and uh, and of course I write so I have kind of a writing place in my home as well so I kind of bounce between uh, my writing which I do often in the morning uh, my architectural practice which is most mostly during the day and then I will um, I will sort of venture off into one of my hobby studios <laughs> Uh, when I'm feeling bored, which is often, uh, since I, I have a little attention deficit issue. Um, so I'll go out and uh, I'll make, uh, my last project was I made myself a ukulele, but uh, I'll go out <laughs> and make something. Uh, or I'll go uh, and I'll sing and play one of my instruments. Uh, and I also am a member of a, a choir in New York City, so I'll uh, actually, uh, Tuesday night, uh, I was an acquirer, a virtual choir rehearsal. So I do all sorts of things, and I've I've essentially done most of them out of my house over the years. Um, I had when I had a five-person architectural practice, I went to the office. But I think, like many of us, uh, Richard Boudet just just on on the phone said he had kind of converted his practice into a home. I had to do the same thing. I had to pack up a lot of things and and downsize really after 2014 and so i've made my home into into uh, a series of studios i also have my children's uh children one is living with me at this point and i really can do almost anything i want to do from home and i feel uh really fortunate about that uh, as you said a lot of people don't have don't have a lot of space in their houses but uh, i've managed to to maintain um uh, a house that i love it's actually an 1897 queen anne house and a house that i can work out of well i'm going to do the same horrific act that i did on mr boudet which is i'm going to read your words to you so forgive me um, oh <laughs> but, but but you you recently wrote um uh, in Common Edge Collaborative, an article called The Flipping 
of our public and private worlds. And in it, you have this great paragraph that directly relates to what you just said, and I'd like to project it into the future. You said, sure. for architecture, there is, a silver, there is a sliver of a silver lining to the pandemic. In that private spaces, houses, apartments, gardens, have attained a public presence for all of us. We must work, exercise, play, worship, watch performances, clean up, and do business from our domestic environments. More important, our home places must be capable of sustaining us in these activities. Working from home has taken on new meaning. I think that synopsizes what pretty much every single person I know, no matter where they live, in an apartment, a home, uh, anywhere, um, everyone is, is, is feeling right now. And so as you're looking at this, that's fine. You state a, a, a reality. What do you think this means to architecture, to people that are thinking about homes right now and using designers to actually envision what's going on. How do you think the profession will change, not just in the object sense of, you know, one-story home or, or, or an office in the home, just in terms of the, the perception of how a home is made and what it could be? Well, I, I, it's a complicated question, and I, I am thinking about that, and I've written a little bit about it in, in my book, The Vintage House. Um, I think that, that architects... Um, First of all, we, we're not going to be designing, as both Martin and Richard said, we're not going to be designing a lot of office spaces. Um, and if we do, they're probably going to be office spaces that maybe are attached to uh, apartments or attached to co-housing in some way. I mean, mm. uh, we'll, we'll be live, we may live together more than we have, and if we're living together in a cooperative, maybe there'll be a cooperative office in next to our home space, which may be in a loft building uh, where we might have apartments. Um, so there'll be that kind of thing. But then with the design of houses, and, and you design houses, I've, uh, you, as you said, you're, you're really an expert on house design, uh, you've written about it, our houses, single-family or multi-family uh, dwellings, are going to need to incorporate uh, workspaces, workspaces with some privacy, of course, because, you know, if you've got your your cat and your and your baby uh, down the hall, uh, you don't <laughs> want either of them, <laughs> you know, jumping. Sometimes it's the same thing. Yeah, when, when you're trying to, to, to design or talk to a client. So, so there'll be, have to be some kind of privacy. There'll have to be some kind of comfort. Of course, there'll be all of the digital things. And, and as, you, as you said, with, with Richard, you know, the digital technology is going to help us in some ways to make uh, it possible to have these spaces in our houses, whereas we might have had to have, you know, a, an office with a, a, the computer deck floor in, in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, we can now have a small, you know, computer and, and maybe a few, uh, you know, Wi-Fi connections uh, of some sort or other. And that, that of course, is, is an advantage for us, but... Of, but on the on the on the public side, um, we're also going to have to be able to connect with other human beings, uh, not only our colleagues that we work mm. with, but also the people for whom we do the work. And so, the challenge, one of the big challenges, I think, which digital technology is trying to to step up to, is well, how are we going to bring ourselves closer together when, in fact, we may have to be further apart right. because of things like COVID or or uh, other, you know, other pandemics that may be uh, down the road. Well, you, this, this brings me to what really is the sort of general wrap-up of, of, of all these interviews, which is one of the reasons I had you on last, was you, know, you are truly a historian as well as an architect and a musician and all that kind of stuff, but you are a true historian. You know, I, 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 I played one in co-authoring my last book, which is sort of about <laughs> history, um, but you really are an historian, and you really have thought about not only the houses we have now as an architect and, and a person that's deeply involved in, in reuse and, and renovation, but you've really thought about where we live and how we live in the past. Correct. If you were to Correct. And take... I think it's important to, to always to understand 
ourselves and our present in terms of the past, and that and that and that's one of the reasons I do preservation. Yeah. And so, if you if if you have one lobe of your brain in the past and one lobe of your brain looking to the future, you're in a unique place to tell us what you think our future might be. So, just. You know, no one's no one's listening to us now. This is just you and me. Um, yeah, of course. <laughs> what what do you what do you actually think our homes will be for the next generation? Well, I th- I think there'll be there'll be a mul- for the next generation there'll be a mul- multiplicity of things. I think we're we're going to have more prefab. We're going to have you know the the home building technology is going to change. We're going to have more reuse. We're going to have more homes that are essentially reused either as uh, uh, you know an old church becomes a house or even parts of houses that are going to be reassembled, um, you know, maybe even old barns that are going to be put together on a site and somebody's going to make a house out of them, or, you know, windows that are going to be put into our houses. Um, so, so we're going to have those kinds of hybrids. We're also going to need to have different types. I, I mentioned co-housing. We're going to have to have houses that uh, perhaps uh, where there are three or four houses on what was before a suburban lot, like the the tiny house. So we're mm. going to have an accessory dwelling unit that's going to sit in our backyard that either has grandma or possibly a renter in it. So we're going to have to make more density in our home places. And for the for the next generation, I, I was thinking about this. You could say that well, Americans are going to have to accept the fact that they everybody can't live in a single family house. Well, as you and I both know, Americans cherish their single family houses. We're we're one of the countries along with Britain where the single family house is sacred. So, are we going to uh, all go and live in apartments in the next generation? Not here in the US, absolutely not. We're, what we're going to need to do is take those single family house neighborhoods, those suburban neighborhoods, and we're going to have to make them more dense and find a way in, a, in effect to cohabit and and get more density on our suburban uh, tracks, maybe even by building on top of houses. So the suburbs aren't going to go away, um, though, though, you know, in some ways the theory would suggest they should. They're going to be changed into something different, um, and the something different is going to be a hybrid. Well, that is a great way to end this program. Thank you so much for being with me, Mark Hewitt, and I thank Richard Boudet, and I thank Martin Peterson. Thank you, Mark, for being with me. Thanks, and thank you for being and, with uh, Homepage Radio, because every month we try to take the ideas of home and the experiences of home and bring them into people's lives in a way which both holds up a mirror, but maybe also looks out a window. This is Duo Dickinson on Homepage Radio 89.5 FM at WPKN.